Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in to the first podcast of the new year. Last week, we continued part three of our study with Pastor Chris. This week, we find ourselves in the fourth and final part of A Christian's Guide to Surviving a Dying Culture with Pastor Brian. We'll pick up where we left off in last week's message and bring our study to its final conclusion. Now, with all that out of the way, let's jump into this week's sermon with Pastor Brian. Good morning, everyone. So we are in our last uh, part of the series of how to live in a dying world. So far, we've talked about the culture that is dying around us. So Chris went through uh, Romans chapter 1, and we looked at what a dying culture looks like, and then we compared that to our current societies and saw that our society is dying, that we have abandoned God, and that even many people call, call themselves Christians have largely taken upon the way of thinking of the world. We then went to go look at how it is in that dying culture that we are to live, and so we looked at we are those who have repented of our sins, and we are to go out and bear fruit, and part of this bearing fruit is being obedient to God and is being salt and is being light. And so last week looked at being salt, that we are preservative to society. This week we're going to look at we are light, and what light is meant to do is it is meant to be seen by the world. It is meant to be that beacon of hope. It is meant to dispel the darkness. And ultimately what we're going to see is that this light comes from Christ. Just as we saw in Isaiah chapter 49, Christ is the light of man. He is the one that we have our hope in. And so when we go out and, be, and we are light in this world, the only reason we can be light in this world is because we are followers of Christ. When we present Christ, that is the light. When we act as Christ, that is the light. If we try to do it on our own, we are not the light. And so if we want to be light in this world, we must follow after Christ. For this, we're going to continue in the passage that we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be going over verses 14 through 16. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 14. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to, the whole, to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so while salt preserves the society, light is meant to expose the darkness in it. Light is meant to show people that there is something that they need in this world besides themselves. It is what we are meant to go out into society with to show them the way to Christ. And this is part of our bearing fruit. When we go out and we are the light of the world, we are going to be bearing fruit. As we do this, others are going to take notice of our actions. They're going to see us, and we have to remember that we are representatives of Christ. We are his ambassadors. When people look at you, when people look at the things you do, they're going to think about the God that you serve. And it might not be something that they're actively thinking about consciously, but this is something that happens always. When you see someone's behavior, you know the God they serve. And so we've kind of taken God out of the language, and we call people selfish, or we call them selfless, and we have terminology that we use, but essentially you can know what that person is about by what they do. Their actions define who they are, and so your actions as a Christian should define you as a Christian. Your actions as a Christian should show the light that is in you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, 
He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so even when we're being persecuted, even when all of our behavior is excellent and people come to persecute us, still maintain that excellent behavior. Because when people see you, they're going to know the God you serve. And even when they persecute you, you want them to think about your behavior. You, they, you want them to think about how you act is different than the way the world would act. And what this is, is this is our testimony or our testament of who God is. I think a lot of people, when they hear the word testimony, they think about how I came to Christ. They think, well, I, I lived in the world this way, I did these things, and then Christ changed my life, and now I'm a Christian, and then the testimony ends. But that's not the end of your testimony. Your testimony is your witness of who God is. And that includes the entirety of your life. And so you become the Christian, and then your life changes. And so how is it that your life changed? What is your witness that God is who he says he is? And so the way you act, the way you behave is your testimony. It is your witness of who God is. And so that way, even when you aren't speaking, people can see the actions, they can see the behaviors that you have taken on, and they can know you are a follower of Christ. And this is something that we observe um, throughout Scripture that we are told about. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, this is Peter talking to wives, but this concept can apply to all of us. So he says in verse 1, he says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And so scripture tells us, when you're acting the way you preach, if you're consistent with your deeds and with your words, people are going to take notice. Because if we go out and we preach the gospel, but we live exactly the way the world acts, what is there to entice them to the gospel? That you are no different than them. What is it that your message has that theirs doesn't? It is just one of many ways to live in this world. And so you are to be set apart in your behavior, to be that light in the world. As people observe your behavior, they're going to see what it is that you're doing. They're going to notice it's different, and they're going to know the God you serve by your behavior. And so when you present the gospel to them, there is a witness or a testimony that goes along with your words to show them that what you are saying is true. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. But one of the things that my parents taught me was you do not cuss. And so growing up, I just didn't do it. I was more afraid of my parents getting me in trouble than what they told me about God getting me in trouble. I didn't care about that part of it. I just didn't want to get spanked. So I didn't cuss. And so when I grew up and people asked me, well, why don't you cuss? I would tell them, well, it's because my parents don't want me to. But then I became a Christian and the reason changed. And I'm thankful to God that I had those parents that told me not to cuss. So that way that was not part of my vocabulary. But now I tell people when they ask me why I don't cuss is because I've read scripture and God tells me to have pure words before him. And so because curse words can be perceived as, um, well, what they are, they're curses towards people. I don't want to have that as part of my language because of what God has said. And so what I find amazing is that throughout my life as a Christian, people have noticed this. I, I haven't said anything. I don't tell people, how dare you cuss. I don't bring up their cussing or the fact that I don't. But they take notice of my action. They notice that my language is different, and they ask me about it. And when I give them the, their, my reason, oftentimes what happens is they'll stop cussing around me, or they'll apologize for cussing, and I've never asked them to do that. So what's happening is they're observing my behavior and seeing that it's consistent with what I have said them from scriptures. They're noticing that my actions and what I have told them are consistent and is a good witness to them of my God. There are people that I know who 
are agnostics and atheists that I've talked to about God. And I've been told that um, of, of all the people that have talked to me about Scripture, you are the only one that I see actually consistently living this out. And that is what we need to do. We need to actually live out the gospel. Our behavior is a representative of Christ, and that is the light that we are bringing to the world. That is what we are meant to do in this world. Now, we are not meant to be boastful in this. We aren't going out to tell everyone how good we are, but we are acting in this way because we are called to act this way. And Scripture gives us these warnings about being boastful in ourselves. Because when we're boastful in ourselves, we're receiving the word from men rather than from God. We see this in Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through 14. Uh, Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we're not behaving this way so we can get people to like us. We're not behaving this way so that way they can praise us. We're behaving this way because God has called us to behave this way. He is the reason we are behaving this way, not for men. And so when we're doing our good deeds, we're not doing the good deeds to be seen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2 through 4, it says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're we're seeking that reward in heaven, not from men. And so when we act out in this world, we're not acting the way we do. We're not behaving the way we do because we want men to like us. We do it because we want God to approve of us. And so we do our good deeds in secret so that way God can give us the reward. But as we do this, people are going to take notice of some of what we do because we aren't living in a bubble. We're living in the world. People will still be able to see what we're doing. So we don't do it to gain their approval, but we do it to be the light. We do it because we know they're watching. We know they're observing, and we want them to know who our God is. And so Jesus continues, he says that this lamp is not lit and put under a basket, but is put on a lampstand. It is meant to be seen. Christ is that light that we are putting up. Christ is that lantern that we want people to see. John chapter 1, verse 4 through 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And so Jesus Christ is this light. He is the one that we want people to see. And so he is the light through us. He uses us. We are the vessels that he decides to use to reveal this light to the world. But he is that source of light. He is the one we want everyone to notice. And this is why we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28. This is why we're called to go out into the world, preach the gospel, and teach people what we have learned. This is why we're commanded to make disciples. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? 
And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the good news of good things. And so you don't need to be a pastor or a preacher to preach the gospel. When you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to your family, when you're going to people and you're sharing the gospel, you're preaching the good news to them. So it is not a specific role. All of us need to preach the gospel. And that's why the Great Commission is there. Go out into the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to be obedient to God's word. That is what we are called to do. That is how we be light in this world. When we take our faith in Jesus Christ and we try to hide it under a basket and we're ashamed of it, we are not being light. We are actually being darkness. We are being disobedient to God. We are not meant to keep this something hidden just for ourselves. And that's what society tells us to do. They say, you can have your religion, but I'm going to live my way and just don't tell me about your religion. You have yours and I'll have mine. That goes completely against scripture for Christians. So if you're a Christian and you've adopted that way of thinking, I'll live my life and they live theirs, you are not living according to the gospel. Now, it's true that we cannot force other people to act a certain way. We cannot force them to be obedient. But we do not take up the mindset of, I'm not even going to tell you about this. The other thing that we need to do is we need to be willing to say God says. That is something that many Christians are now ashamed to do. They're not willing to say because God has said, because it's mocked in this world. If someone says, why do you know murder is wrong? And you say, because God has said, they're going to say, you really think you need God to tell you murder is wrong? And my answer is yes. We do need God to tell us murder is wrong. Because if there is no objective standard to right and wrong, then everything is subjective, and someone could subjectively decide murder is okay. We see people do it all the time. There's people that are serial killers. There are cannibals in this world. Not everyone believes murder is wrong. There are people that go out and murder willingly. And so we do need God to say what is right and what is wrong. And we cannot be ashamed of that because that is the light. That is what Christ came down to do, to reveal the Father, to reveal his good news. And so we need to be comfortable with saying, because God has said because God has spoken, even if people do not like to hear it. What we do when we do this, when we go out into the world and we preach the gospel and we aren't ashamed of what it says, we are being the light in the world and that light is going to dispel the darkness. If, you're, if you've ever been in a, a dimly lit room and you can kind of see the objects around you, what often happens is you can kind of get your bearings but you might still trip over a few things, but your eyes get used to it after some time and to the point where you don't even realize how dark it truly is in that room. Until someone flips on the lights and you're blinded by the light and it's kind of painful for your eyes for a second, but then you can see everything much more clearly. And that is what it is like being in this world. People are in darkness and they don't even know it. We saw that in Romans chapter one when we went through that in the first section. Romans chapter one, verse 21 through 23. It says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, when we talk about this type of idolatry in the modern world, most people just, just kind of push off, even Christians. So say, well, I don't have like a little idol that I look at. I don't have like a bird god and a, and a lizard god. I don't have all these gods that were around in the Old Testament or during the scriptures. And so they'll kind of shrug off idolatry. But what they don't realize is that when you say 
that morality comes from man, you have created an idol out of man. When you say that anything has its origins outside of God, you are making an idol out of that thing. If man can come up with their own morality, then man is God. All things that were created, all things that are in existence come from God. So if we want to truly know what is true, we have to start with God. Morality comes from God. Right and wrong comes from God. What is true comes from God. And the world has been darkened to that because they've pushed off God and they've taken up the image of man. That is the biggest idol today. It is man who is the idol. And that's why people want pure democracy because the people know. The people are the ones that are going to lead us in the right direction. But that's not the case. The people cannot lead us in the right direction because their hearts are darkened. We need the light of Christ to lead us in the right direction. We cannot rely on man. And so this, again, is why we are told to go out and preach the gospel. We want to dispel the darkness that is in this world. And people are not going to like it. They're going to rebel against it. This is why we are to expect persecution when we're actually being light in the world. Because when you flick on that light and it's blinding to people, they do not like it. They prefer the darkness to the light. And so they want to go on continuing to live in their sin, and they want you to leave them in their sin. But you've been called to expel that darkness to expose it, to tell them that what they are doing is not in accordance with what God has said. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 through 16 says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. For everything becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And so we cannot be people who think, I'm going to do my way, and then you do your way, and we're going to just cut off that communication. We are called to go out into the world and expose the darkness. Expose the wickedness of the deeds people are doing in the dark. You cannot be afraid of saying what Scripture says. Because that is the light. The only way people can come to Christ is if they are told of Christ. The only way people can know they are sinners is if they are told they are sinners. They are not going to come to this knowledge on their own. Because their hearts are darkened and they need the light. And God has called each and every one of us to be that light in the world. To bring that message to people. To expose their darkness and to bring light. Now that does not mean that everyone you expose light to is going to become a Christian. There are going to be people that rebel. There are going to be people that do not like this message. And there are going to be people that will push you away. And that's why God says that he did not come to unify. He came to divide. And he even says that within your own household will be enemies. Father against son, mother against daughter. Scripture divides and it's because the people of the world want to remain in darkness and God has called us to bring light. And so you and I are meant to go out into this world preaching the gospel, exposing the darkness to expel the darkness that is in the world. It is something that you have been called to specifically by God to do. 
not to just sit in your home and make it a personal relationship with God. But this relationship with God that you have is something that is meant to be broadcast to the world. So that way all people can know who God is, know that he is the creator, know that he is the only way. And really all of this, all of living in an undying world is going to center around Christ. Because when we go out and we are the light in the world, we are not the source of the light. We are the carrier of the light. Verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we don't do this so we get glorification. We do it so our Father in heaven gets glorification. And we want this light to shine out before all men so that way all can see who God is. And so if you want to think of yourself as light, think of yourself more as a light bulb. The bulb itself does not have light until the electricity flows through it. And so the Christian does not have light until the Holy Spirit indwells you. And then you are the light in the world. Then you are the one that shines bright. So when we want to go out being the light of the world, we have to remember that Christ is that source of light. Because if you go out and you try to be light on your own, you're not going to be able to do it. The world is going to come against you and you will stumble because you are relying on your own ability. If you're going to go out in the world, if you're going to preach the gospel, if you're going to be persecuted for it, you must be centered in Christ, who is the source of light. And so what I want to do now is I want to go through um, a bunch of scriptures that talk about the light. Um, and this is not a thorough list of all scriptures that refer to light, but this is a, a, quite a, an extensive list. And there are hundreds and hundreds of references to light in scripture, all of them pointing back to Christ. So let's start with Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, which says, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. Now you might read that and say, how does that reference Christ? And what's amazing is if you actually go through the story of Israel with Moses from Egypt through to the promised land, all of it is foreshadowing Christ. Each and every step of it is meant to point to Christ. And so what we see here is that Israel, God's chosen people, are being led out of captivity and into the promised land. Not by their doing, but by God's doing through his miraculous works, ultimately by the sacrifice on the, for the 10th plague. And so they're being led out of that darkness and into the light of the promised land. And they're being led by the light, which is God. That pillar of flame is the power of God leading them by the way because they do not know the way. God is showing them the way. And so even in Exodus, we see God being this light, guiding his people to the promised land. In Psalm 18, 28, it says, For you light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. God is going to expose the darkness within you. He's going to expose your sins. That way you can repent of it. Psalm 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? If God is for us, who can be against us? He is the light within us. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's scriptures, the ones we are reading, is the light. We can know what God has said because it is written down for us to read. We can know what God has said because Jesus Christ came to reveal the Father. So we have what we need to know what God has said. The word is the light. Psalm 119, 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to 
the simple. Once again, God is revealing to us what is true. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And so God's presence is everywhere. If you're going out into this world preaching the gospel, there's nowhere you can go where God is not with you. There is nowhere you can go where that light, that source of light in you is not with you. He is with you everywhere. He is with you in life and he is with you in death. You can always rely on him. And darkness is not even dark to him. God is so bright that he expels all the darkness. And so there's no area of life that you can be in where God is not there with you. And again, this means that when we think about every aspect of our lives, God is a part of it. There's no part of your thinking, there's no part of your doing that God is not a part of. And so with all that you do, we need to be honoring to God. Ecclesiastes 2.13 says, And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. Isaiah 42.16, I will lead the blind by a way they do not know, and paths they do not know I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. John 9, 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are God's possession. He has called you out of your sin. He has called you out of your darkness into his marvelous light. 1 John 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus Christ is that light. He has called us to himself. He has cleansed us. He has removed the darkness. And so now there is no tangling with you in darkness. Because Christ is light, you are to be light as well. Because Christ behaves in a certain way, you are to behave that way as well. And he did nothing but the will of the Father while he was here. And so it should be that you do nothing but the will of your God and Father in heaven. Being obedient to him, and this is how we are the light of the world. By acting in obedience to him and by bringing the gospel of truth to people. We can expel the darkness with a focus on Christ. And so this is the grand story that God has been telling from the beginning. That a light will come into the world, that the serpent's head will be crushed, that someone is coming to bring to us wisdom, truth, light. Someone is coming to redeem us. And that person is Christ Jesus. And now that he is here, now that he has come and he has sacrificed his life for you, now that he has made 
the way, then there is no other path for you and I to follow but him. And if we want to out and we want to be that light in the world, we cannot deviate from what he has told us. We cannot mingle with the world and expect to still be light. When we mingle with the world, we put the basket over the lamp. We are no longer revealing what is true and good in this world. We are no longer exposing the darkness. We are no longer exposing sin. That should be our mission. That should be our goal as Christians, to be salt and light, to preserve the society and to purge darkness out of it. When we do this, there is a benefit to the whole world, not just Christians. And I think this is a concept that we don't talk about a lot at church, that even people who are not saved can benefit from the gospel. Even people who are not saved can benefit from Christian thinking. And this becomes evident when you look at Western societies, when you look at the decay that's been happening. The decay is happening because we've tossed God out of everything. The decay is happening because the Christian roots of Western civilization are now gone. But for the longest time, people have just benefited from Christian worldview ideas. The idea that we have inalienable rights given to us by our creator is a Christian concept. The idea that we need two or more witnesses to convict someone of something is a Christian concept. A lot of what we understand as Western law comes from Christian concepts. And in fact, the, our first um, uh, Supreme Court justice cited scripture when he was determining law. When he, when he judged on cases, he cited scripture saying, this is why I have made this judgment. So a lot of what we take, a, take for granted in the West, a lot of the concepts are from scripture. But what's happened is that we've removed that and so the world is moving away from it. People no longer know why we justify the things we do because they've tossed out scriptures. And so the Christian worldview is beneficial to people even if they don't recognize it. There are people still trying to defend Christian worldview concepts without the Bible. The problem with that is when you actually confront them on it and you keep digging down to why it is that they think the way they do, they do not know. It becomes just as subjective as the side they're fighting against. And so now you just have subjectivism versus subjectivism. Which one do you go with? Well, it just depends on who has the majority. But when we present the Christian worldview, when we present what the Bible has to say, when we tell people to live according to scriptures, even if they are not saved, they receive the common grace of God that society flourishes. And so this is the common grace that God gives to everyone. So everyone gets to enjoy food. Everyone gets to enjoy drink. Everyone gets to enjoy life. Whether they're saved or not, they can enjoy things. And one of the things we can enjoy, whether we're saved or not, is a society that flourishes. And a society that flourishes the most has the Christian worldview at the center of it. And so, yes, ultimately our goal is to bring people to Christ. But what we are doing when we're being salt and light in the world is we're bringing people to Christ and we are preserving and building up society as well. And I can guarantee you it's a lot easier to convince people of the scriptures when we're living in that society. And so when we see the culture dying around us, pushing scripture out, we cannot cower away. We cannot hide away with our faith. We need to continue being salt and light in this world. We need to continue exposing that their way of thinking is flawed. Their way of understanding does not amount to anything. I brought this example up before, but there was someone that was arguing against the Christian worldview. And so the Christian asked them, well, is cannibalism wrong? And I said, well, of course it's wrong. Well, how do you know it's wrong? Well, I mean, we, it's kind of gross. We, you know, people don't do it. I'm like, well, there's societies on the other side of the world that do cannibalism. Is it wrong for them? And the guy didn't know what to say. And so I said, well, I, I suppose if they decided it's not wrong, then it's not wrong. 
And so now he's just contradicted his own logic. It can't be both be wrong and right at the same time. That is not consistent. And so that's always what happens when you do not hold the Christian worldview that, that morality and law and what is right and what is wrong all originates from God. If it doesn't originate from God, you have to find out where it originates. It always has to originate from somewhere. And the world today decides that it originates from man. And so you will always have the majority ruling over the minority in that society. Because if the majority of people decide it is good, then therefore it is good. We do not live that way as Christians, and we want to have society benefit from the Christian worldview. And so we go out and preach the gospel, and we hope to win people to Christ. But even if we don't win people to Christ, we're at least being light and salt in our societies. We're at least building up a culture that is honoring to God, and God will bless even that. And so if you want to live in a dying world, once again, we have to have Christ be the center of it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The best news about God calling you out to be light in this world is that it is no longer you who lives. It is Christ who lives in you. He is that light, and he chooses to use you as his vessel for his good works. He created you to call you into good works, to do as he commanded. And so it is him living in you. And so when that persecution comes, when the world comes against you, when the world fights against Christianity, you do not have to worry, you do not have to fret because it is Christ who lives in you. You can always rely on him because he is the light. And so how is it that we can go out? What are some of the things that we can do to be light in this world? Well, if we want to be able to go to the world and say, God has said, we have to actually know what God has said. And so step one to being light in the world is to study God's word. And I don't just mean read scriptures. I mean actually study it. Take time out of your day, take time out of your week to actually study, get commentaries, uh, fellowship with one another, study God's word. Because I can guarantee you there's stories that you guys have read numerous times and you never knew the actual theological significance of those stories. If you just read it and you do not study it, you are not going to understand it. And so we have to study scripture consistently. Our lives are following after Christ constantly, making him the priority. And this doesn't mean that we're always just gonna be sitting in front of a book reading and nothing, doing nothing else, but that must be a part of our lives. We have to actually study. We have to come together to know what God has said so we can actually apply his word. And we apply it by doing fellowship. We apply it by asking questions. We apply it by learning. We apply it by going out into the world and doing as it has commanded us to do. And it is only by doing that that we can be light in the world. But if we continue the way we have been doing it right now, if we continue living the way Christians in the United States have been living, this light is going to go out. Because this is not the way Christians behave. Christians have become once a week Christians or twice a year Christians or Christian by name only. Many Christians don't even know what scripture has said and has caused them to go into all sorts of false teaching. And so we must study God's word. We have to know what he has said. If we want to be the light of the world, it has to be focused on Christ. It can be focused on nothing else. When we start to adopt the way the world thinks and become man-centered, we're not going to be the light of the world. It has to be Christ-centered, always. And so how is it that we're to live in a dying world? Well, we live it by the only one who brings life through Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us. God, you have sent your son to die on the cross for us to bring us into your light, God. And without you, we would not know that we are in sin. God, without your law, we would not know that we are in need of a savior. Without you exposing the darkness, God, we would not know that we needed you. And so we thank you for that, God, that you were, that you are holy, God, that you are um, willing to save God, that you are willing to come down into this world to reveal to us what it is that we need to be right with you. And God, for each and every one of us, if there is any darkness still remaining in our lives, I pray that you would expose it. God, because we want to be a part of your light. We want to be the ones that go out and bring that good news to the world. We want to be used by you. But as long as there is darkness in us, God, we cannot do it. And so we pray that you expose that darkness in us, that you purge us of our sins, God, and that you call us to be your hands and be your feet in this world. God, as we see society turning away from you, we want to be those few standing out in the wilderness, crying out that the Messiah has come, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that it is through no one else that we can receive salvation. God, I pray that we are those people that are willing to stand up amongst our society and proclaim what is good and right and true. In your name, amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.